But let me start by asking you, what typifies summer for you? Is it sport? Is it tennis? Were you watching last night? We'll be watching this evening. What about the cricket? The Ashes were great. The one day is, well, we'll see. Perhaps it's time with friends. It's time with family. Perhaps you're inside avoiding the heat. Perhaps you're outside lapping it up. Is it the beach? Is it surf? Is it sand? Is it the swimming pool? Perhaps it's things like summer fruit, summer vegetables. There's a common element to our typical summer activities. It's the sun. Now, if I were to ask you to draw summer, you'd draw a sun. It's the image. It's the way we depict the season. You can't get more summery than the sun, but the sun's far more than just summer. The sun gives light. It gives heat, warmth. It helps plants grow, flowers bloom. Through a solar panel, sun gives us power. And one more thing. The sun is the object around which the earth rotates. Importantly, the sun gives us some perspective of our own size and our own place. The sun, yes, it's bright, but it is big. Just how big? Let's imagine for a moment another summary item, a beach ball. So imagine a beach ball about a metre in diameter. Now, if I hold my beach ball right here, here at the lectern, and we say my beach ball is the sun, another summary item, a grape, is the earth. But the earth is the other corner of the oval next door. The sun is big. Understanding the sun means understanding its bigness. When it comes to understanding God, we need to understand his bigness. Understanding God means understanding his bigness. And the 104th Psalm is one that does that. It helps us understand the bigness of God. So what makes God big? Let's look there in verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul. The psalm begins by reminding us that God is the one who's worthy of praise. He's worthy of praise not just from our lips, not just from our hands, but from the very soul, the core of our being. It's a word that captures a sense of everything that we are, It's full, deep, rich praise, marked with passion, marked by emotion. And why? Let's keep reading in verse 1. Because, O Lord, my God, you are very great. Remember, understanding God means understanding his bigness. It's clear that the one, that our God, the one true God, is big. He's very great. Because, verse 1 again, because you are clothed in splendour and majesty. God's splendour means his importance. He's above everything else. He's above everyone else. He's magnificent. God is big. And what about God's majesty? Well, majesty isn't really a word we tend to use or hear a lot uh, these days, but you might hear it in reference to the Queen. Her title is Her Majesty. 
Well, this God, our God, is very great because he is a king, but not an earthly one. As the king in charge, different parts of creation are, verse 2, his garment, verse 3, his chambers and his chariot, verse 4, his messengers and his servants. He's in charge, directing, controlling, governing, leading. He is majestic. God is impressive. God is big. These same verses show us that even in his bigness, God is involved. Involved in what he creates, he's involved in his creation. He's not remote or distant from what he's made. He's not unwillingly involved. He doesn't sit back reluctant or hesitant to get stuck in there to involve himself. Read verse 2. He is the one who stretches out the heavens. He lays the beams. He makes the clouds his chariot. Verse 4. He directs the winds and fire. Verse 7. The waters respond to his voice. Verse 8. The waters flow to where God assigns them. And verse 9. God sets a boundary they cannot cross. This is God involved. And there's a strong sense here, isn't there, of God energised and active in his involvement. God is involved. God is big. The psalm shows us what it means for God to be the creator. God's bigness is demonstrated to us in that God created from nothing. In the beginning, there was nothing. God is not like the artist who stands there with his paint, with his canvas ready to go. God is not like the builder who has the bricks and the mortar ready to assemble the house. God doesn't start with anything. Nothing. He creates all substance. He creates all being. Read with me there in verse 5. He set the earth on its foundations. God has caused it all to happen. God is big. But despite creating from nothing, God is not messy, chaotic or unplanned. He is deliberate, ordered, carefully planned and intentional. Creation is no lucky consequence. It hasn't magically evolved. If you think back to the creation account in Genesis 1, you'll remember God creates in an order. God creates light. Then he separates the waters in the sky from the waters below. He then separates the land from the sea. And so it continues. Well, that same order is reflected here in Psalm 104. The first thing to appear is light. There's water in verse 3. And so it continues. I invite you to go away and compare those two passages later. God is ordered. God is big. It's important to know and understand that once God finished his work of creating, he didn't just let it go, let it run off on its own course. No, its course is the one that God has determined. It's the course he knows intimately and in which he is involved. There are likely many people in our world who believe that God has made the world and set it on its course and let it run. A bit like an alarm clock. It's as though God has designed an alarm clock, he's built an alarm clock, he's wound up the alarm clock, 
and then he's let it go. He's just waiting for it to go off. No, that's a tragic, tragic view of who God is. One of the worst things about that view is it suggests God once cared, but now he doesn't. He was once involved, but now he's distant, missing, absent from what he made. God is not sitting back. The world, as the psalmist shows, there, shows us there, is not only made by God, but it remains dependent on him for its continued existence. He keeps the earth rotating. He keeps the sun rising and setting. He keeps the plants photosynthesizing. He keeps the animals fed. The earth is in perpetual motion because God put it in perpetual motion. He keeps it all going. He remains in charge. He governs his creation. God sustains his creation. God is big. Let's turn to verse 11. That's where we see a lot of these ideas coming together. God's involvement, his deliberate order, and the way he's established his creation to sustain life. Look with me there. Verse 10 and verse 11. He makes springs pour water to all the beasts of the field, even to the wild donkeys. Verse 12. God gives the birds a place to nest by the waters, and they sing where they nest, which suggests it's a pleasant place for them. Verse 13, he waters the mountains, the earth satisfied. Verse 14, he makes the grass grow for the cattle. And God hasn't forgotten people. Look there in verse 14. There are plants for us to cultivate. In verse 15, there's food, wine that gladdens the heart, oil to make faces shine, and bread that sustains. But don't make the mistake of stopping here and marvelling at the creation. Lift your eyes and look at the creator. God the creator. He is big. As we move to verse 17, we can see God the creator has considered his creation in great detail. Verse 17, the birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the pine trees, specific trees in which to make their home. Verse 18, the crags are a refuge for the conies. He's even made a home for the conies, which I'm told is just another word for a rock badger, a small animal about the size of a big newborn baby. For something as obscure as a coney, a rock badger, God has made it a home. In verses 19 and 22, have a look there. We're reminded that God has organised his creation by day and night. God establishes his way to mark the seasons. The sun rises and sets at its right times. God gives life during the day and different life, life during the night. In verse 23, again, we are not forgotten. People are given a role to go out and work. Work is limited to certain times of the day. Our work has its right place and time. In verse 24, the psalmist pauses. The psalmist stops here to reflect on the bigness of God and his many, many works. For all the cleverness of humanity, we're still finding new creatures. We're still discovering new populations. Just this week, scientists announced 
uh, they discovered another population of what could be the world's rarest fish uh, in the waters off southeast Tasmania. Now, we could direct our praise to the work of scientists. Now, they are undoubtedly clever. But verse 24 tells us, let's read it, How many are your works, O Lord, in wisdom you made them all. It's not humanity's wisdom that's behind creation. God, in his wisdom, made it all. The earth, the sea, they're full of his creatures. God enables us to enjoy and explore it, but God is behind it all. God is big. Let's recap. God is big. He creates from nothing. He's involved. He's ordered. He sustains. He's behind it all. God is big. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for us? Let's take a look at the psalm again. While we can see that God's big, we can also see that God knows his creation personally. We've seen some of that already in the way that we have read that God is involved in the way that he cares about the very details. But throughout the psalm, the verses swap between the words he and you. Some verses start with the word he as though God is being pointed to as the one responsible. But other verses there start with the word you, showing us that the psalmist understands that God knows us personally. It's you, God. Now for us, living after Jesus has walked on the earth, we know this even more clearly. We know that Jesus, by his death, his resurrection, has made it possible for us to relate to this big God. We can confidently say that this big God is my big God. Because of Jesus, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, chapter 4, verse 16 of Hebrews, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God knows us. He's made it possible to personally relate to him. This is our big God who is involved, our big God who sustains. But God's involvement and sustaining has a much richer, more personal meaning. Our world so often assumes we live in this machine-like universe that's entirely dependent on these fixed laws of nature, laws which are entirely independent of God. We live in a society that sadly lost any sense of what we know of God's providence. Providence refers specifically to God's care of the world and his supervision of it. Providence refers specifically to God's care of the world and his supervision of it. And for us that means and includes his provision. The Bible's view of God is that his world, whether it's the earth rotating, the sun rising, setting, plants photosynthesizing, you name it, it all operates the way it does because it's entirely dependent on him. A proper understanding of God's providence also helps us understand God's hand in our lives. 
God's providence is on display when we look to our own past and see how God has worked in our lives. God's providence is on display when we think about those critical turning points which often took place in ways that we were unaware of at the time. But God's providence is on display in those decisions you made that changed the course of your life. You see, with a proper understanding of God, there are no accidents, no coincidences, no chance meetings of people. Every footstep is guided by the big God, our big God, my big God, your big God. Psalm 104 shows us what God's providence means. Look with me from verse 27. So verse 27, God gives the creatures the food at the proper time. Verse 28, God opens his hand. The creatures are satisfied. Verse 29, God determines when breath is taken away and they die. And verse 30, life only continues because it's his will to renew it. This can't be the God who's wound up creation and let it run. God is intimately involved in and knowledgeable about every aspect of his creation. God causes life to commence. God causes life to continue. God causes life to cease. Well, to help us understand creation and providence a little further, let me quote from a document uh, written in the 1500s. Bear with me. The 28th question of the Heidelberg Catechism asks, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? That question again, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? The answer given, we can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing can separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in God's hand that without his will, they can neither move or be moved. We are so completely in his hand that without his will, we can neither move or be moved. God is big. My God is big. So what's my response? What's your response? What's our response? The response to this big God. The response to my big God. Well, perhaps you're someone who thinks, I'm too small for God. I'm too insignificant. Perhaps you think you're not worthy of a God who's this big. You're confronted by your, fe- your failures, your frailties. If this is you, don't look in the wrong direction. Look to the God who's big. Who does care? Who does love? God knows that none of us are worthy. None of us will ever be worthy. That's why he gives us Jesus. Jesus who made knowing God possible. Jesus who made, a, made possible a relationship with God the Father. God takes broken hearts, broken souls. He takes away fear, dread, provides the solution. God's big and that won't change. God's bigness and all of his actions, they're not dependent on me, they're not dependent on you, they're not dependent on anyone. The right response to God's bigness is there in verse 33. Read with me. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. 
Now, another possible response to God and his bigness is to say, I'm more important. I'm more important than God. I want it my way, and I want to control everything in my life. Well, having read the psalm, we're not capable of matching it with a big God. We're not capable of sustaining life. We're not capable of sustaining our own life. To operate this way, to say, I'm more important than God, it's both arrogant and foolish. A third possible response is that we might already know that God's big, but we don't always live in a way that matches up or reflects this. Let's look back at what the psalmist says in verse 34. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. The psalmist returns to dwelling on God's character, God's actions, God's words. The more we dwell on God, the more we will want to praise him the more we will want to reflect him in all aspects of our lives, just like the psalmist does. Well, what does this look like for us? It means going back to what we know of God, going back to what we know of his words, reflecting on him and acting on it. Well, how do we do it? Three ways. We can do it together. Let's learn together as a church family. Be here on a Sunday. Don't commit to some Sundays. God just isn't after part of your commitment. A big God is worth all of our commitment. Commit to every Sunday, to any and every opportunity to know more of the big God, to know more of your big God. We can do it together, but we can do it with others. Learn together with others. We have small groups at this church for a reason. What about others in your family or your friendship group? Do you spend time as a family with friends being deliberate about dwelling on God and his word? Parents, do you teach it to your children? Talking about a single verse, a single Bible story over dinner. It doesn't have to be complicated or long. But doing so will help you and your children see more of a big God, more of our big God. We can do it together, we can do it with others, you can do it yourself. Spend time yourself reading the Bible, praying. See, we can talk to a big God. We can read about a big God. Because we can, we should. Another way in which we may not yet be truly gripped by God's bigness uh, is that we're too absorbed in uh, and uh, pushed around by the world, uh, by the world around us. In a, God, in a world where God is truly praised for who he is, look there in verse 35, the sinners and the wicked, they don't belong. They're completely out of place. We are to live differently to others in our world. What does this look like? Everything is from God, number one. Let's be thankful, not wanting more. Let's be generous with what God has given us. We don't need to fill our homes with the latest and the best. We don't need to match it with others. For some of us, if your salary increases, our spending habits and our lifestyles don't need to do the same. We should be enabled to give more and to be generous with what God has given us. Everything is from God, number one. 
Number two, everything is for God. He is the one of splendour and majesty, and so we point to his greatness. We don't look for status or empty praise from others. Don't buy the lie from our comfortable city that is so quick to ignore or dismiss God's provision of all things. Let's not talk in terms of suburbs, salaries, schools, exam results, our latest purchase. Let's show that our focus is on our big God in what we think and talk about, in where we invest our time, in how we spend and give our money, and in how we value all that God has given us. And if we truly understand the bigness of God, then like verse 1 and verse 35, my soul will praise him. Praise from the soul is not half-hearted praise. For some of us, praising our sporting team, racing to stay up to date with whatever the latest news is or whatever our Facebook feed says, that occupies more emotion and passion than the God who's big. That's tragic. That's dishonouring. Instead, let your focus be on this big God. So like the psalmist, you do long to say, praise the Lord, O my soul. In your thoughts, your words, your actions, do you know the bigness of God? Does every part of you, does your soul praise the Lord? Earlier we sang a hymn that captured so many of the ideas in this psalm. I love the hymn. It makes sense to sing so many verses. But we can also sing and think about this psalm simply. A simple summary could be these words. My God is so big so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the valleys are his, the stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. It's a simple song, but it is a profound truth. The things we can see, everything between the, valley, the mountains and the valleys, that's all his. But the stars, everything out there that we can't see, that's all his as well. See, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, for everything belongs to him. There's nothing that has been made that has not been made by him because of him. The creator is big. My God is big. 